God put this in my heart to share over a week ago. I even announced it. I usually don't announce it that far in advance what I'm going to do. Because sometimes, most times, I really don't know. And uh, But God spoke to me to talk today or to preach on communion. This week I've gone, a couple last couple of days, I was in conference over in Kentucky. And while I was there, I felt like the Lord spoke something to me. Uh, that he said, many of my people aren't using the tools that I've given them to use to win their victory. And he said, they're blaming him and saying, God, you're not moving. God said, you're not using what I've given you. You're not using my tools that I put in your hand that you could wage a good warfare and that you would come out victorious. And I thought, okay, God, what, what is all of that? What does it look like? Because so many times we think we are and or maybe we, we feel like we are and maybe some are and maybe some are not. But, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible said, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the weapons of God aren't ever going to, uh, you, you know, be defeated. How many knows what some of the weapons are? There's many of them, and I just throw some out. How many knows that your worship, that your worship is a weapon? It is. Your song, your singing. You may not say, but pastor, I can't sing. God doesn't measure you by how you sing. He measures you by what you're allowing to come out of your heart. One of the things that we've heard a lot over the last years, over the last couple of years, is our decrees and declarations that we're making. They're instruments of war. He told the psalmist David this. He said, he said, I, I, he said, I've made your hands to fight and your fingers to war. How many of you, especially if you're a musician, I believe it's deeper and stronger than that. But especially you musicians, I've encouraged a lot of them over the years. Hey, get alone with God and get on your keys, get on your guitar, get on your drum, whatever you're doing. Make it an instrument of war. How many knows your giving is an instrument of war? There's so many factors. The word of God, keep it in your mouth. I could keep going and going and going. But I believe what I'm going to share with you today is we're going to come a weapon of war in your life for the days that are ahead. Because I believe there's some things coming upon our land. I don't know what they are. But I wouldn't be questioned that we're not going to see some dark days. And you and I are going to have to be more confident than ever. Of who we are in God and what we have in Christ. I believe it with all my heart. I'm not a gloomer and doomer and I don't ever look that way. But I don't want to get caught unaware. But I believe a couple of weeks ago the Lord spoke to me. Thank you, Miss Tanya. To speak on this today on communion and then we're going to share it at, toward the end of the service so I want you to look with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 he said for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and, of, and drink of the cup. For who, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are sick and weak among you, and many sleep. For if we, be, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait on one another. Father, I'm asking you today, as you have put in my heart, that you would help me to communicate so clearly and so easily what you have given me. Holy Spirit, you just speak and I'll just follow. So God, I thank you for what you're going to do, for the miracles, for the lives that are going to be touched and healed and changed in this place today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Notice how Paul starts. These are the words of Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He said, for I have received of the Lord. I believe as Paul is saying something here, because you have to understand something. This isn't the first, I'm going to call it communion or Passover meal or communion uh, meal that Paul has been through. Matter of fact, as a Hebrew, they've had it ever since Passover. Because the communion meal would go back all the way back, would take us back to Passover. Where Israel was brought up out of Egypt. What did God do? Remember that? They were in Egypt. It's the last plague. And God says, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to slay it. I want you to eat it. Go into your house. Put the blood upon your doorpost. And from that day on, Israel was set free at Passover. And God said they were to observe that in a perpetual year after year of feast. Correct me if I'm wrong to my scholars, where they would have Passover together. So it wasn't an uncommon thing for Israel to go through and have this Passover meal. Matter of fact, it was more of a meal than a religious thing, than, than really how we conduct things even, even in our own churches now. So Paul, after his conversion, I believe, said, I see this in a greater light than I've ever seen it before. Because yet you and I have to understand something. Israel believed in the sacrifices of animals, but they really scoffed at the sacrifice of Jesus. It was easier to believe if they would bring something and lay it on the altar that things could be changed, more so than it would to believe that Jesus would take care of all of it for them. So Paul comes and he said, I've received something fresh of God. I've really understood. I've got a fresh revelation of what is going on. He said, the Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he came in, he gave thanks and he broke it before them and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Now, why did he give thanks? Now, most of us give thanks at our meal because that, you know, we thank you, Lord, you've provided for us and, and, and such as that. What was Jesus giving thanks for? We have to understand something. 
the first, when we go back to uh, John chapter, I think it's chapter 13, the last meal, this is the night. I believe chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus said, fully understanding and knowing, John did, Jesus fully understanding and knowing now what was coming and what was getting ready to take place. This wasn't just saying, Lord, I thank you uh, for what you've provided. But this is what I believe he was giving thanks for. He was saying, God, I thank you for what you're getting ready to do in their lives. I thank you for the miracle that's going to take place in them. I thank you for everything that you're going to work through this moment, through, the, through their life and through my life for them. So then he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, with, take the bread, which is broken, eat of it, and do this in remembrance of me. So if Jesus is saying to us, and the Bible is commanding us to do something in remembrance of him... He is wanting us to always be mindful. Don't lose track. Don't lose sight of what I have done for you. So Israel at this moment had come to this place. Had been doing these Passover meals. But for whatever reason for it. It had just become mundane. It had just become religious practice. It went from something that was very sacred and very holy. According to what Paul was writing in chapters previous to this, that it became a moment where they were coming in like, hey, we're going to go out to the buffet this afternoon. We're going to fill up. We don't care if anybody else gets to eat or not, but I'm going to get my full and go on about life. It had just been another ordinary religious act that goes on. So many times, I'm not saying it's that way where a lot of churches are, but I think it can become that way. Okay, we're going to have communion this week. And because, because it's just become a ritual, not understanding really fully and completely what the Lord was doing through that. He said, take, eat, this is my body which was broken for you. And as you do this, you are going to proclaim, listen to what he said, you will be proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. Now, matter of fact, Paul said this, and Jesus wanted us to get a good picture. I'm going to go at this a little slow, all right? So hang with me, and i got to stay with my notes. But why did he want us to focus so much on the death? Why was the focus upon the death? First of all, there's something that you and I need to understand. Israel had an understanding of a law that many times we miss. And I'm going to call it the law of exchange. So when he's talking about death, he said, I want you to know that something died so that you can live. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you might have life and have it, what? More abundantly. So an exchange came. Jesus, the enemy came and stole. Jesus comes to give. In order to get that, an exchange is going to take place. In exchange, a life for a life. Matter of fact, I never thought about this too much. Even if you go back from the very beginning of creation. Did you ever think about the verse that says this? I'm in Genesis, but I'm going to speak from John. 
He said, except a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it will die, it will what? Bring forth much fruit. When God set creation in motion, he, after the Garden of Eden, everything was set to function out of seed, right? So what does the seed have to do? That form has to die in order that this form can come forth. Come on, somebody. Listen to what I'm telling you. Something has to die. So he wants you to focus on something he wants you to focus on the death. Because there's a death, now something fresh and something new is arising. A new harvest is being gathered. When Israel was in Egypt, I just, I just talked about that a while ago. What did God do to get them out? Part of his plan to bring them out was the Passover lamb, which was pointing to Jesus that would be the Passover for every one of us. So the only way, according to scripture in Exodus 11, 12, and 13, I believe it is, if you're going to go back there and study, he said to all of Israel, and I'm confident of this. He said to Israel, he said, I want you to take a lamb, a lamb for a family. I want you to slay it, put the blood upon the doorpost. I want you to roast it. I want you to go in and I want you to eat and eat all of it, right? And if everybody was covered by that blood, everybody that was covered by that blood was, was covered from that angel of death. But that night not only freed them from death, death came. A lamb gave its life. An innocent lamb gave its life so that Israel could have life. See, I'm confident of this. If there had been an Israelite had not obeyed the Lord, they would have died. Their family members would have died just like the Egyptians. Because the instruction was in the exchange. If you want to live and you want to be free, you've got to be under the blood. You've got you've to be with the lamb. You've got to receive it my way. But if there had probably been a, an Egyptian that could have dared. Now I'm going to get in trouble here. But if an Egyptian could have heard that, could have understood that, been revealed to him. And would have put that blood upon its doorpost. I'm confident he would have been born again. He would have been covered by the power of that blood. Because Jesus died for all. So there was an exchange of one for another. Matter of fact, there's always an exchange. Every one of us are here by an exchange. Believe it or not, every one of us. Because it was a seed from a man put its place into the womb of a woman. And everything about that, that transformation now would bring forth a new, new living being. So we need to understand there is a law of exchange that was taking place. Death for life. He that knew no sin or he that would thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Left heaven, came to earth. Think about this. He that was absolute life to its greatest, fullest degree of what we would ever known. Left heaven, came to this place. To experience what you and I lived in. Notice how I said that. He came absolute life. Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he came as absolute life. To take death so that you and I could pick up absolute life and live it out. Are you all there? Stay with me. Because you got to see it. So he wants us to see the exchange 
that went place. It was death for life. Everybody say death for life. But what are the benefits? Because not only is there exchange, there's the benefits in the cross. Here's the first one. It deals, the cross deals with our sin and all of its consequences. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. First Peter, I'm going to give you a lot of verse these, so just hang with me. Write them down. I don't know if she'll get them up that quick because I'm faster than she can move. I'm just kidding, Miss D. First Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins. Notice that. Who himself bore our sins. In other words, he said, let me have that. I'm going to take that so that you don't have to. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. See, this is very important that you notice, know this because the enemy is always reminding us of our past and of our failures. And if I fail today, I've got to get all, I've got to go right back again and get born again. If you come up like some of us in this room, you'd get saved on Sunday morning, go Monday, blow it, have to get saved all over again next Sunday. Or you had to wait for the next revival and revival was hot enough it would burn the sin out of you. You know what I'm talking about. And, and that's how we live so many times. And we live under condemnation. We live under guilt. But my Bible says that Jesus dealt with our sin and its consequence once and for all at the cross. Come on. In his death, he literally, who knew no sin, became sin. He didn't just take my sin. He became came sin and he dealt with it on the cross matter of fact if you're here struggling with something stubborn today I'm telling you by the power of God if you'll pay attention and receive by faith what I'm sharing with you this morning I believe you could be absolutely totally free from that thing that keeps tripping you up because the Bible says in Romans 6 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord he said reckon yourself to be dead to sin Wait a minute, sin doesn't have any dominion over me other than what I'll give to it. According to the word of God, Jesus dealt with it. That the only power that it really has is the power. And most of the time, the reason I've given, given to it, because I'm not convinced that I don't have authority over it. We're going through this in our class on Wednesday night on the authority of the believer. Most of us don't believe that we have the authority that God has given to us. That's why we're taking you through it. Here's the second benefit. It frees us from God's wrath. The wages of sin is death. Eternal punishment would be hell and all of its torment. But the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. I don't have to worry about hell. Matter of fact, I don't sit around thinking about hell. I'm not worried if I die, I'm going to go to hell. I'm convinced in my heart that I'm going to make heaven. 
No, I don't want to go today. I'm not ready to leave. But I'm convinced I'm going to make heaven. You can have that confidence deep in your heart. Matter of fact, that makes it when we face some of the stuff the enemy wants to throw at you. Sickness and death seems to be knocking at your door. Again, none of us ready to go. But it ought to make, wait a minute, it's all right, Mr. Devil. You can push me all you want. But if you cause me to step over, you're just putting me in the hands of Jesus anyway. He has freed us from the wrath. To come. Here's the third blessing. God redeems us and forgives us of all of our sin and iniquity. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have forgiveness. We've been redeemed. What do you mean redeemed? The word redeemed means to, to, to identify again. It means to by back, it means to put back in place. I, I, I've been redeemed as though I have never, ever sinned. I can stand as purely today as a son of God as I had. If, if Adam would have never, ever sinned in the garden, you and I, can. we even stand in a greater place than what Adam did. We've been redeemed. We have found forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. Now I say this. Because I find myself doing a lot. God I ask you to forgive me today for any sin. Do you ever think how sin conscious we really are? Now it's not that we should never ask God for forgiveness. But it just seems like most people are just so sin. We're so failure conscious. I blew it conscious. And I find myself instead of saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. God, I need you to forgive me again. Why? Because I don't feel like I'm pleasing him. And as long as you're carrying that idea that I've not been redeemed and he's not taken care of my sin, he's not forgiven me, then I'll walk around not thinking that I'm ever good enough or that he's ever, ple or he's ever pleased with my life. That's why it's so important. You see where this becomes a weapon in your hand? Because what does the enemy throw at you? All of this stuff. I know. Something goes, oh, well, what did I do to cause it? What did I do to cause that? I, I take things around here serious. Man, back, back during COVID, we had a number of people sick and things getting in. I, I took it serious when 40-something people at one time in this house had COVID. God, what did I do? Where did I open the door? See, failure problem. It must be my fault the reason that's happened. Because if I was really right with you, that would have never gotten in this place. But how many knows that's not really true? And how many knows that just because you're in the world doesn't mean that you're of it? And, and we're still not. Listen, my, my spirit is born again. My soul is constantly being renewed, but this body is constantly being challenged. Come on, and it will be. That's why he said, do this, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Till he comes. 
Why? Because the enemy is constantly going to be challenging you on a daily basis. But you've got to constantly be reminding him, let me tell you what happened to me at the cross. Let me give you another benefit. He breaks Satan's power. You need to understand that he has broken Satan's power. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Go to the next verse. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Here's what he did. Keep in mind, you've heard me talk about this a lot in those days. If you owed something, if you trespassed or you had a debt to something and you could not pay it, they would put a handwriting. That was law. This is an agreement. You will pay this to the furthest thing. If you could not come and pay that, you could not meet that. They would nail that to your door, to your house. The only way, and it would acknowledge to you, I'm under debt. I owe a debt I cannot pay. And the only way that you're going to get free from it is that somebody, either you're going to have to pay it or somebody would be gracious enough to come and pay it. They would not only put you under debt, but they could take everything you have because debt became a thief and a robber. It affected the generations. They would take your children and make you slaves. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus saw you under a debt that you could not pay. He saw you under a load that was affecting generations of your family. He walks by. He rips that thing off. He just doesn't tear it up and throws it on the ground. He takes it with him him to the cross and while they're nailing it in his hands he's got in this hand he's got your debt in this hand he's got my debt he said go ahead drive the nail through it because I'm going to take care of this price and when he come off the cross he made a public spectacle of Satan himself and said now you have absolutely no authority whatsoever You need to know that he paid for it. That's your benefit. I want you to think about something here, moms and dads. I've said this a couple different times. But we're not just dealing with you. We're dealing with what's in your family line. I think some family curses are going to get broke today. Generational things are going to get broken. They're going to get broke because it's going to start with you. And when it starts with you, you're going to begin to unleash that down through your children. That's why Paul said to the Philippian jailer, if you can believe you and your entire household will be saved. Do you realize still in cultures and countries of the world, if we're going to go in, if somebody was going to go in and minister to them... You're not just going to go talk to everybody. You're going to have to get permission to get to the family. You want to get to the family? you got to go to the father. Did you ever think about when Moses went and stood before Israel? He didn't stand before 300, 3, 3 million uh, he, Hebrew people. He went to the elders 
of the tribes of Israel. And by standing before the tribes, the elders of the tribes, he would pass the word. This is what the father has saying that God, this is what God wants to do. And they would have to relate that back down through the family line. So when the elders would say move, they would move. Think about that. Why was Numbers 13 that way? That he said send in 12. Because all of Israel was backed up on the voice of the 12 elders or the 12 leaders. That's why it's so important that you understand you are a doorway to your family. You want to open up blessing to your family? Get blessing working in your life and start cre creating that, that, that pathway for blessing to flow. Okay, I'll tell you all really excited. Here's the sixth, fifth blessing. It's healing. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace is upon him. And with his stripes, I'm healed. Let me give you the sixth one. It reconciles us to God and to others. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 declares this, and I think I'm going to start reading. I wrote it down at verse 12. There it is. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now I have been reconciled back to God. I've been brought into the family. And now all the benefits, all the blessings of Father's house are now mine. And they're now yours. That's the promise of God. That's what he worked at the cross. Then here's the last one. He gives us full access. To God. It gives us full access to God. Hebrews 10 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter in by the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, having boldness to enter into the holiest. Man, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go in, I might as well just go in asking for everything. I might as well go in believing for everything because he said, now I have access into the holiness of God. So he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, I don't want you to forget what I've done for you. I don't want you to forget what I have paid for at the cross. An exchange was made. So then he took the cup. Now notice what he said. As he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now wait a minute. We're talking about communion now. He's wanting us to focus on his death. But now he's wanting us to focus on his blood. Because now a new covenant is being made. We're under covenant. Wait a minute. This isn't a trial run. This isn't, you know, if it works out, I hope it does. And if it don't, so, so, no. God bound himself to us 
through his blood, a covenant has been made. You see, most of us read our Bible like this. Let's go to the Old Testament passage. Or let's go to the New Testament passage. You know, the original writings, it's not said that way. It's the Old Covenant and it's the New Covenant. What is a covenant? It's something greater than a promise. A covenant would be made like this. Me and Charlie's going to come into covenant over something. Maybe he's a bigger guy than I am. He's got a bigger kingdom. So in order to preserve myself, I want to go make covenant with him. That would be one reason covenant would be made years ago. To protect my own self. That if I would come and me and Charlie would look at each other and I'd say, Hey, I want to make covenant with you. Charlie would say, well, what do you got to offer me? And I'd say, this is all I've got. And Charlie would look at me and he would think and an agreement would be made. I'll covenant with you. And then we would start making declarations to each other. He would look at me and he would make a declaration like this. In this covenant, I declare that your enemies are now going to be my enemies. If anybody's coming after you, they're going to come after me. What I have is what you have now. I mean, there'd be promises made back and forth. But not only would there be promises made, there would be curses that would make. And it would say something like this. If I fail to hold up my end of the bargain, then may me and my whole house be struck by your hand. I mean, that's how serious it was. It wasn't just an idea that he would strike and kill me. He could come after my granddaughter. He could come after Maverick or Samuel or Lucy or, or Nora. He could go through my whole family line till everybody was wiped out. Why? Because the covenant was made. This was life. So we would get together, we would make that covenant usually in exchange of gifts. At some time, they would exchange robes. There are times men would exchange their belts. They would exchange their swords. And then they would take an animal of some kind and they would, they would slit it where it would bleed out a bit. A sacrifice would be made. And both of them would do this kind of figure eight thing of walking around. This sacrifice that has been made. And then they would take a cup of wine. And sometimes at points would take a slip from their own arm. And would bleed into it. And they would exchange the cups. And now they would drink from that. Because now you've ever heard where, you know, you remember as kids, we done the blood brother thing. Where do you think that came from? It was a part of making covenant. So it was dependent on whether I could hold my end of the bargain and he could hold his end of the bargain. But God knew that we could not hold the end of our bargain. No matter how holy God's priest was in the tabernacle, he was still fallible. And year after year, that's why the blood of bulls and rams would have to be brought and be slain. The blood, it would be the only satisfying thing. 
But God said, I'm making a better covenant because you guys can't keep it. So he said, I'm going to make a covenant with myself. And God gave his only son. And he made a covenant with himself. And he poured out his blood at the cross. And that blood was a, was a significant marker that you and I are now under the promises of God. And that now the promises even that he made to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, the covenant that he made with Moses, the covenant that he made with David. Now he made a covenant with Christ. And the Bible said if we be in Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and we're heirs to the promise. So every promise he made to Israel back there now becomes a promise of, for you and me that now we can prosper, we can be in health, we can be whole. Our enemies are his enemies. He'll fight for us. He'll defend us. He'll stand for us because it's when he, listen, when he sees us, he sees himself. So a covenant was made and he said do this in remembrance of me I want the worship team to get ready to come back to come on back and get in place well pastor why why was a meal so important why was it so important to slay a lamb a lamb and then eat the lamb why was it so important to have a last supper before Jesus would go to the cross. Never thought about this. Have you? It was through a meal that man sinned. Think about that for a moment. It was through a meal that man sinned. And God said through a meal, I'll redeem you back to myself. The way you went out, that may be a great point. Where do I get, where do I get? Pastor, I don't know where to get back on. Let me tell you where to get back on if you got, where you got off. That's where you get back on. You don't have to go back and redo everything. They fail through a meal, through looking for lunch. I fell over a lot of donuts. I fell over a lot of Popeye's chicken. Oh, come on, somebody. Think about that for a moment. He said, through a meal, you failed. Through a meal, I'm going to redeem you to myself. Every covenant, every covenant that was made was also ratified with the covenant meal. That's why it was so important to sit down. Because now it's not just about the act, but it's about the relationship. See, that's why it's not just religion. It's not just religious activity. As I sit and partake of this meal, I'm sitting in a relationship. I'm communing with the one that I love. Now, why did Jesus say this? Or why did you remember Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Think about this, this whole thing, this whole song. 
is the shepherd promising to take care of us. He promised that we would have rest, peace. We will live righteously. He'll see us through the dark times. He says, I'll get you through it. And I'll prepare a table, a covenant meal. I'll sit you down even when the enemy is pressing in around you. And I'll remind him he can't touch you. Because if he touches you, he's got to touch me. Having six brothers, or five brothers, six boys, being next to the baby. When I went to school, back, back in those days, nobody ever messed with me. Nobody. I don't remember riding the bus. Nobody harassed me. Nobody in the neighborhood. I was only harassed by my own brothers. But nobody messed with me or my little brother because they knew if they were going to mess with me they were going to mess with one bigger than I was they were going to mess with my brothers who would fight for me in a moment because they knew we were family they knew we were of the same blood they knew we carried the same name they knew we dined together. We lived together. We were in relationship together. They weren't, oh, I'd have to say, Ralph! Ralph was the mean one in the bunch. And Ralph would invite you to heartbeat for a while. That's the way it is when you understand who you are and understand what God has done for you. I believe, he said, took that cup, took the bread, broke it, took the cup. Notice something else he said. He said, because you don't discern the Lord's body, many are sick and weak and you die prematurely. I didn't say that. The scripture says that word sick means to be infirm. To be weak of mind, will, and character. The word, the word uh, weak means to be diseased, feeble, impotent, lacking of power and vigor. And he said, not only that, he said, many check out early because you're not discerning what Jesus has done. What's the, what's the eating and drinking unworthy? Is it because I'm full of sin? Wait a minute, he took care of that issue. When we're drinking and eating unworthy according as I can discern and feel what the Lord has been revealing to me is when I'm doing it out of religion, I'm just going through the motion, not of faith. And I'm just doing this meal because if I do it, it's what our church does. And that's all it is. Well, pastor, I don't believe there's anything to that. Well, stay where you are, it's okay. If that's where you want to live. The Catholics believe this, that you are literally taking with the bread, you're eating the body of the Lord. And when you're drinking that cup of wine, you're drinking the blood of the Lord. I don't necessarily believe that, nor was he saying this is an example. I believe it's an incredible spiritual work of God. That by faith, when you partake, 
of that piece of bread a spiritual act as what Jesus said by the way did you ever think about this I never even saw this so I'm pushing into this do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 you remember what day that was or when that was it was Passover what happened at Passover the lamb was slain. Jesus had been teaching remember Passover season was there. The disciples said, send them away, lest they faint. No, the disciples said, send them away. No, Jesus said, feed them. Because if I send them away now, they're going to pass out on the journey. And Jesus feeds. And the people are following. And then John 6, he says, he says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life in you. The Jews said, Our fathers received man in heaven. Jesus said, I'm the man sent from God. I'm the heavenly man sent to sustain you. You remember their cry when they got in the wilderness? Moses, don't you care that we perish? And God sent the man. Never had to worry about it day after day. It sustained them. Think about this. Even when they failed to go in for 40 years, every morning they woke up and they got fresh manna. Every morning God said, I'll feed you and I'll take care of you. Then there came a time said, we're sure tired of eating this manna. Could we have some meat? And God sent quails. I thought about that. Why in the world? Of all the animals, probably really good to eat but what I believe was signifying with that quail God said I'll just not meet your immediate needs he said I'll give you desires of your heart because they, it wasn't just about them being sustained he wanted them blessed and prospering so he said as often as you do this you do you do this remember what I've done. i got to read one more thing. Sorry. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. This life, we're going to be pounded. But Jesus has promised us victory. Pastor, how long do we, how often should we take me and my wife's life, it's quite often. For the last three years, we've done it not every night, but many of them. That's how we end our night. Doing communion. I believe you need to do it as often as you need to. Maybe you're more confident than I am. Maybe you're more secure than I am. Maybe you don't need it that often. But maybe you need to do it every day. I come in a lot of days. I come in, nobody here. Maybe I'll walk in the auditorium. They're all working somewhere else. I'll come in and I'll start my morning again. Father, I acknowledge the covenant. I acknowledge the broken body. I acknowledge the blood. And I'll just have communion with myself. 
this sometimes twice today. Pastor, are you that messed up? No, I'm just keeping myself reminded of what Jesus said and who Jesus said I am and what Jesus said I could have.